lesson 22 in the study of Hebrews. We're in chapter 8, and we've been looking at these verses, beginning with verse 6. It says, But the ministry Yeshua has received is superior to theirs, as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. And it is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought after for another. But God found fault with the people and said. We'll see what he said later. But notice two things. It says if nothing had been wrong with the first covenant, or we could say the first agreement, and then it says something that people seem to pass by. It says, but God found fault with the people. He didn't find fault with the Torah. He didn't find fault with the laws. He found fault with the people. And last week we covered what was wrong with that first covenant. And it was that God initially wanted to speak to his people. He wanted to have relationship with the people of Israel. Exodus chapter 19 verse 5 and 6 recorded the agreement. And the people were to hear God's voice and keep his covenant. And while the people agreed initially to hear the voice of God, and initially God did come and speak to them directly, after hearing God, they asked for and received a change in the agreement. They said, no, Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us. And so they asked for a change in the agreement from hearing from God to a mediator between them and God. And God said yes. Not because that's what he wanted, but because it takes two to make a covenant, right? Well, 40 days after God and Israel agreed to this modified agreement, the agreement fails. With their go-between or their mediator gone up the mountain, and then since they're no longer able to inquire of the Lord... They fall into the sin of the golden calf. God had offered them a perfect agreement, a 24-7 relationship with him. But in their fear, they inserted imperfection into that agreement in the form of a mediator. And of course, they failed to live up to the agreement. And if you missed all of that, I suggest you get a copy of last week's tape or CD and listen to the complete message. So God found fault with the people. Not with, now the author quotes Jeremiah and he tells us about a new covenant. A more perfect agreement that God is going to make. And it says in verse 8. A time is coming declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And with the house of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers. When I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. And write them on their hearts. I will be their God. And they will be my people. No longer will man teach his neighbor or man his brother saying no the Lord because they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more by calling this covenant new he has made the first obsolete and what is obsolete will soon disappear and so this is the new covenant and the word I like rather than new I really like it rendered renewed covenant because 
of Exodus 19 and God having offered a personal relationship previously, now he's offering it again. So I like the word renewed. However, there's something else that many miss and that we should notice is that this new covenant will be predicated on the forgiveness of the sins of Israel and Judah as a nation. It says, I will put my law on their hearts and they will know me. They will know him. And this, then we get this word for. For I will forgive their wickedness and their sin. In other words, without the forgiveness of sin and wickedness, the rest of this covenant is not possible. You know, I've heard people teach that the new covenant is for the end of days. During the messianic kingdom, because it begins with the phrase, the days are coming, says the Lord. And in a sense, they're right, because the covenant is with the whole house of Israel and Judah. And that won't happen till the end of days. On the other hand, they're wrong, because they're not keeping the whole passage in mind. Because it says not only the days are coming, but it's also predicated on this forgiveness of wickedness and sins. So you have to ask yourself, how will God forgive the sins and wickedness of Israel as a nation? Well, the same way and the only way he'll forgive anyone's sins. By faith in the Messiah Yeshua. And when will the house of Judah and the house of Israel as a nation accept Messiah Yeshua? Well, at the end of days. That's clear. Just read the rest of Jeremiah, where this first originates. Read Zechariah. Read Revelation chapter 7, 11, and 12. So Jeremiah says the days are coming. Well, if the new covenant with the house of Israel and Judah won't happen till the end of days, why did Yeshua say this? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And why did Paul say this to the Corinthians in chapter 3, verses 4 and 6 of 2 Corinthians? Such confidence as this is ours through Messiah before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Well, you know, it's not too hard to determine if you take the whole passage into account. Because as I've stated, the new covenant is predicated on something other than the end of days as well. And that is the acceptance of Yeshua and the forgiveness of sin. You see, the forgiveness of sin trumps the end of days. If Israel or any part of the people of Israel accept Yeshua and their sins are forgiven and then they seek to follow God by His Spirit and walk by the Spirit, they have and are part of this new covenant. So here's what we find in this passage. The new covenant is made with those who are of the house of Israel in Judah who have their sins forgiven. Oh, where does that leave you if you're a Gentile? Where does it leave a Gentile who's not physically part of the house of Israel? Well, Messiah Yeshua, through the forgiveness of sin, accomplished something else. And in doing so, fulfilled the promise to Abraham that through him, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And Paul tells the Ephesians and the Romans both, 
He says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, he says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. You see, through the forgiveness of sin, Yeshua leveled the playing field and made those from the nations who have confidence in the Messiah Yeshua part of the people of God. Or as Paul will tell the Romans, they've been grafted in to the olive tree, the olive tree being Israel. Then Paul continues to tell the Ephesians this. He says in verse 19, he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Messiah Yeshua himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a spiritual dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see, you're part of the new covenant because you've been grafted in to the nation of Israel and this new covenant. The church needs to come to the realization that they haven't replaced Israel. They've been grafted into Israel. So where does that leave those who feel that God has replaced Israel and Judah with those from the nations? Not grafted in the nations into Israel, but replaced Israel. Well, I'll tell you where it leaves them. It, tells, it leaves them where I don't want to be. Outside of Israel and Judah. And that's why Paul says this in Romans 11 as he speaks of the olive tree. Verse 22, he says, Consider therefore the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will be also be cut off. And if they do not persist in their unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Now, that's kind of a rabbit trail, but it, and it's really not the point I'm after. The point I'm after is this. The new covenant is not like the old in two ways. First, God is going to put his laws in their minds and write them on their hearts to do. So you're no longer going to violate God's Torah because he will write his Torah on your heart. So contrary to popular belief, the law will not be done away with, but it will be on your heart to do. The spirit. Spirit of the living word, the word made flesh, will be on your heart and you will follow his direction. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But first, let's look at the second part of this new covenant. Because the writing of the Torah on the heart is predicated on something else. It's predicated on knowing God. As it said, remember it said, No longer will man teach his neighbor or man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they'll all know me from the least to the greatest. You'll no longer need someone to teach you about God because God is going to restore the original clause to the agreement. And that's why I like to think of this as renewed. His son, who is the prophet like Moses, will speak the very words of God, and he's going to speak them to your heart. And through Messiah, you're going to come to know God, not just about God, but you're going to know God personally. You see, those who were part of the first covenant knew about God, but that didn't help them keep the agreement. 
God was not pleased with them. With the new, they will, or it could be you, if you, will accept Yeshua and you will know God today. You can literally know God today. You can literally hear his voice today. You can have relationship with him today. He will speak to you and you can speak to him. You won't find how to do that in a siddur. You won't find it in the prayers of others, not in some religious prayer, no matter what faith it comes from. But you'll find it through relationship with speaking to God as his son spoke to the father as well. We have this amazing benefit of having the Messiah, Yeshua, indwelling our being, our hearts. And yet, as I always bring out in the prayer class, so few of us really take advantage of this. We read this last week. Deuteronomy 18, I'm going to read verses 15 and 19. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to him. He will tell them everything I command. And if anyone doesn't listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. The son of God, the prophet like Moses, is going to speak the very words of God. And not just when he walked on the earth either in the first century. If you're willing and you don't say no as they did in the wilderness, he'll speak to you today. As the writer will say in chapter 3, verse 7, he says, So as the Holy Spirit... says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the deserts where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years and saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray for they have not known my ways. Today, If you hear his voice, you can hear his voice today. The passage tells us, they says, for they did not know my ways. His way was to hear his voice and keep his agreement, his covenant. But that's not what they ended up with. They ended up with their way, which was to hear the voice of men and obey. Their way didn't work. And they went astray time after time after time. However, in the covenant that you are offered, if you so choose and don't say no as they did at Mount Sinai, you can hear the very words of God spoken to you. You can come to know him today. That's what the author's saying. Let's get some confirmation of this. Let's go to the Mount of Transfiguration. Deuteronomy told us that we had to listen to the words of the prophet. Matthew chapter 17 verse 5 says, While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. What we have here is an unmistakable allusion to Mount Sinai and this first agreement. They're on the Mount of Transfiguration. We have a bot coal, a voice from heaven, just like at Mount Sinai. And what does it tell us? Listen to Yeshua. He's the one God sent. He's the son. He's the prophet. The one we are to listen to. And just so we know that it's true and we understand, there's a voice from heaven, a bot coal, on the mountain again. 
And again, I want you to understand, this literally means here, listen to him. Not in the sense of reading the words he spoke and were written down, but hear his voice. And like no one else, John realized how important this was. And so he records the words of, a master, of the master in chapter 10, in verse 2 through 5. It says, The man who enters the gate is the shepherd of his sheep, and the watchman opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls the sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will not follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognize the stranger's voice. Now, you could write this off. It's just a parable, just a hyperbole or whatever. They will not know, but it says they will not, it doesn't say they will know his words. They said it, it says they will know his voice. You know, if we're part of the new covenant, we'll know the voice of the master. And you know what I like about this parable? This is one of those great parables, those wonderful parables, where Yeshua gives us the meaning of the parable. We don't have to guess. Lest we misunderstand, he's going to tell us just like it is. In verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for my sheep, and I have sheep that are not of this pen, and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. He says, I am the shepherd of the parable. And my sheep know me and I know them. How do you come to know someone? You come to know them through communing with them. And if it's Yeshua, the way to do that is prayer. And notice he says, I know the Father and the Father knows me. Read the life, read the story of the life of the Master. He's always getting away by himself to speak with the Father. Because he knew the Father. And his... He says he has sheep of another pen. That's the nations. That's you if you're from the nations. And it says they too will obey me, right? Wrong. Not right. It says they too will listen to my voice. Listen to my voice. How on earth are you going to do that? Well, you like Yeshua, you need to get away by yourself and speak with him as he spoke to the Father. Not just get away and read a siddur or recite some prayers out of some church book. But you need to speak with him. His sheep will hear his voice. You know, that's amazing in the light of what we just learned about the new covenant and the first covenant. Listen to what John says in verse five, or chapter 5, verse 24. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. It says a time is coming and has now come. Time is coming. You know, that's the resurrection. The dead are going to hear. 
But there also is a time has come when the dead will hear. I was dead. But now I hear the voice of the master. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 through 10. It says, But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Messiah even though we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Messiah and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Messiah Yeshua in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Messiah Yeshua. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and not, this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that one can boast, for we are God's workmanship created in Messiah Yeshua to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I was dead. But now I hear the voice of the master. And I'm seated with him. He hears me and I hear him. The truly amazing proof of all of this though for me comes through the words of Peter. Remember I said last week that they had turned down hearing God and God had promised them if they heard from him he would make them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then they turned it down. They didn't want to hear the voice of God. And so never again in the Bible do you see those words, do you hear them called a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They don't occur, occur again in the Torah or in the prophets, but they do in 1 Peter. Because after the prophet like Moses comes and is raised to life, the holy nation and the kingdom of priests occurs again in Scripture. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, for in, the, for in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because of, they disobeyed the message. Which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him. Who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. For once you were not a people but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What has happened to Peter? That he now uses this term, royal priesthood and holy nation again. Terms that haven't been used since the agreement at Sinai was modified. Well, the disciples followed that bot Cole who said, This is my son whom I love, listen to him. They listened to the words of the master. And let me tell you something. They kept on listening to the words of the master through prayer. What happened to change Peter that he's now part of a holy nation? Well, I can tell you what happened to them all. Listen. John chapter 20 verse 21 says, And again Yeshua said, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I'm now sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. You see, Peter's got a new mediator of the covenant. He's now part of a new covenant. He no longer needs man to teach him about the Lord because he knows the Lord personally. They've received the Holy Spirit. He doesn't need man to tell him if Gentiles are clean or not. 
He doesn't need men to tell him if he can go into the home of a Gentile or not. Because he has the Spirit of God to tell him that Yeshua has made the Gentiles clean. And don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. He no longer has to worry about a mediator of the covenant going up on the mountain someplace to hear from God. And leaving him alone for 40 days. He can hear God. And if they hear my voice and obey my covenant, then they will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He now hears the voice of God. What's new about the new covenant is hearing from God. You no longer need someone how to teach you how to walk uprightly before God. You need only hear his voice and obey. Sometimes we hear his voice and don't obey. What Yeshua has rendered obsolete is all the uncertainty that comes in walking in the footsteps of rabbis, priests, and pastors. And he instituted all the certainty that comes from walking in the footsteps of Messiah. Do we still need teachers? Well, if you want someone to teach you Hebrew roots, some things that will help you understand the word of God, yes. But you don't need a teacher telling you can do this or you can do that. All you have to do is listen to the Messiah Yeshua and then obey. Yeshua will teach you. If you don't harden your heart, he will lead you into all truth. Yeshua has done what Yeshua has done for you, he has become your mediator. He will listen to you. He'll talk to you. He'll guide you into all truth. And that's why the author of Hebrews says, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. What's obsolete and disappearing is this. Rabbinics. And not just rabbinics, but Christianity with all of its added laws and mediations. And what is new is Yeshua in your heart. What is new is hearing God's voice, the message of Yeshua, the words of Yeshua. That's the good news. And that is what Yeshua, the prophet, the priest, the mediator will do for your life. He will teach you to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. If you listen. Because you still have this veto power, just like Israel at Mount Sinai. Will you listen? Will you hear? Let me show you something else. Israel said no to hearing God. And so Moses went up the mountain. In chapter 34, verse 29 says, And when Moses came down Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. What I want you to see is that when Moses went to speak with God, when he was alone with God and speaking to God, and then he came down with the tablets, his face was radiant. And it says it was this way because he had spoken with the Lord. In other words, speaking with God and taking his words back to the people caused his face to radiate with the glory of God. And if you read on, it wasn't just when he went up the mountain, but it says when he went into the tent of meeting to speak with God. The same thing happened. When he came out, his face shone with the glory of God. And then after he came out, it slowly faded away until the next time he went in. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians and see what it, because Paul references this. It says, but if the ministry of death 
in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. Paul is saying that the ministry of Moses giving the laws of God came with glory. His face radiated with glory. How much more does the ministry of Yeshua come with glory? In fact, he says, what Moses had is so surpassed by what's available to you that it seems like no glory at all. But it also tells us something else. It tells us after you've come out with speaking with God, it begins to fade. You have to continually go back and speak with him. Recharge your batteries, so to speak, if you want your light to shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'll tell you something else, and I'm not sure that this is even optional. Because the writer of Hebrews will later tell us in chapter 12, and as I often want to, well, as I often do, I want to read this from Young's Literal because it's so close to the original Greek. Verse 25 of chapter 12 says, See, may ye not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape who refused him who upon the earth was divinely speaking, what was it they refused at Sinai? They refused to listen. Was it the laws of God? No, they listened to the laws of God through Moses. It was hearing the voice of God. That was the only thing that they refused. They said, no, we don't want to hear the voice of God any longer. And they didn't escape when they refused the relationship he offered. Refusing that relationship was the cause of their violating the covenant and ultimately dying in the wilderness. Now using Homer, which if you don't remember, it's a rabbinic style of arguing from the least important to the most important. He says, much less we who do turn away from him who speaketh from heaven. Today, if you hear his voice, don't turn away. If for some reason you haven't heard his voice, you should have come to the prayer class. And you better come to the next one. Or begin to earnestly seek him to seek him more earnestly. Because this isn't an option. At least according to the writer of Hebrews. 